0: From Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, this is The Legal Lounge. Here's your host, Amanda Jones.
1: Hello and welcome to The Legal Lounge. I'm Amanda and along with the lawyers and experts here at Lanyon Bowdler, I'll be bringing you a series of podcasts that cover many aspects of law in England and Wales. It's our aim to show you that the law isn't scary and nor are our lawyers. If you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialists for an upcoming episode, please let us know by getting in touch through the website, lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, Beth Heath and Catherine Jones from our clinical negligence team talk about the delay in diagnosis of cancer, using two fictitious but typical cases to illustrate the challenges people face.
2: Hi, I'm Beth and I'm joined today by Catherine, one of my colleagues. Hi Catherine. Hi Beth, hello. Today's podcast, we are going to focus on what we consider is a real topical issue at the moment, delay in diagnosis of cancer. Catherine we've been speaking about that due to the COVID pandemic the focus by the NHS and GPs etc has been treating those with urgent care needs and perhaps things that like delay and diagnosis for cancer are going to be kind of hot topics in the next couple of years because symptoms that aren't life-threatening have been very much put on the back burner would you agree with that
0: I certainly would agree I mean obviously we haven't necessarily seen any of these coming through as yet but it's something that I certainly anticipate that we will get further uh, you know inquiries lots more people getting in touch with us that have unfortunately had to be put on the back burner as a result of you know r- rightly so resources having to go to the front line yeah. to, to, to treat critical situations but
2: obviously GPs haven't really been seen anyone face to face my experience and I don't know if yours is the same is the cancer diagnosis generally starts with attendances at the GPs which then results in a referral onwards to
1: hospital.
0: Yes, I mean absolutely and, and at the moment obviously it's a lot of telephone consultations and I think everybody's been trying to adapt, haven't they, as best they can to, you know, things like if you've got, you know, something on your body that's visible, you can send a photograph of that to your GP, but obviously in terms of, you know, when we're talking about cancer there's not something that's necessarily visible that that can be done for so it's probably even more had even more of an impact and of course, there's huge waiting lists
2: as well. At the moment, the figures are kind of astronomical in terms of waiting lists and times um, for non-urgent treatment and outpatient appointments because of yeah. the diversion to the front line.
0: Exactly. And I think that's an ongoing issue as well, isn't it? I mean, we've only heard GP saying very recently that they're concerned when there has to be a third vaccination, for example, in the autumn, which is obviously being spoken about. They're talking about GP surgeries being overstretched and the vast majority of vaccinations, I believe, have been done by GPS. GPs and, and it looks like that's set to continue so this problem is probably not going to go away mm. for the foreseeable and I guess the,
2: the waiting time um, lists, and th- those lists that are very long are going to have um ramifications for the treatment of cancer as well so taking away that any potential delay in diagnosis there's delays in treatment as well because people aren't getting the chemo or perhaps the the radical surgery they need as quickly as they would when we're not in a
0: pandemic of course and, and the other thing in relating to that and accessing treatment and things like that is that many of these patients who are post a cancer diagnosis will be classed as vulnerable and therefore obviously need to take care of themselves and, and, and going into a hospital setting is, is probably stressful and should be avoided if possible. But then you've got the conflict there between needing the treatment. So it's all about balance in those circumstances, isn't it? So today, Catherine, we're going to have a,
2: a bit of a chat about two case studies. So these are both fictional case studies relating to delay in diagnosis and treatment of cancer. They are based in some respects on our experience of similar clinical negligence cases. So Catherine you're going to kick off with the first case study which I understand
0: relates to a delay in diagnosis of lung cancer. Do you want to talk us through that? So my case study is a man, uh, Mr X we'll call him, the age of 72, started to experience breathing problems and a cough which developed um, in October 2017. He attended hospital, uh, was admitted as an emergency um, due to these breathing problems and he was diagnosed on a number of occasions with a lower respiratory tract infection. These infections were treated with antibiotics on numerous occasions um, and during that period he also had two separate CTs scans. The first of these CT scans did show an area of consolidation, so an area of concern, and the second reported that that area of consolidation that had been seen first time round had actually appeared reduced, so that was a reassuring element for them. A year or so later on, uh, Mr X was admitted again to hospital with similar symptoms, and a further CT scan led to a further diagnosis of pneumonia, Following on from this, there were further attendances, further episodes, further scans, and he was finally referred almost two years later after his initial uh, attendance at hospital for a PET scan to a specialist centre. And the PET scan did find a persistent area of consolidation in the left upper lobe which had progressed from the initial scan that was undertaken that had shown the area of consolidation. He subsequently underwent a CT-guided biopsy and unfortunately that confirmed a diagnosis of primary lung cancer. Sadly by this stage he was not a candidate for surgery because he had bony metastases present. He did undergo three cycles of chemotherapy but unfortunately he really did not tolerate these well at all and he wasn't offered any further chemotherapy from that point onwards. Sadly his condition deteriorated relatively rapidly and he died a few months later at the age of 74. That's a really sad case study there, Catherine. There's obviously been quite a lot of investigations
2: throughout this gentleman's life from October 2017. At what point did they get it wrong in this case?
0: In a clinical negligence claim, we have to obviously undertake numerous investigations and we obtain medical records in the first instance. And then we have to seek evidence from independent experts. And so when we investigate a case like this, we have to identify who the appropriate expert is to comment on the treatment that was provided. And we actually got two separate experts reports on this case to deal with that first question that you've just asked, um, which is uh, relating to breach of duty. The first hurdle that we have to overcome to prove a clinical negligence case. And the expert evidence in this case, one from a respiratory physician who was the doctor that was in charge of Mr. X's initial care and also a radiologist who obviously is specialized in interpreting the radiology the scans etc and they between them were able to conclude that uh, diagnosis should have been made approximately a year earlier than it was so had they
2: misinterpreted the scans here so was that area of consolidation that you spoke about Um, in the earlier period was that actually something a lot more sinister and, and the the cancer
0: yes and it later transpires that the area of consolidation that was seen on that initial CT scan was the area where the primary lung cancer was identified later on so they were falsely reassured by the second CT scan that the consolidation had reduced so this case Catherine it really came down to the radiology so all the different types of imaging
2: and the incorrect reporting of what they showed
0: yeah absolutely and you know obviously alongside the imaging there were his what he was presenting with in terms of the symptoms so obviously taking all of those factors into account but primarily looking at the radiology um it was so of course you have to look at the the whole picture so his
2: clinical symptoms as well as their radiology and it sounds like this was a prime case where an earlier diagnosis should have been made
0: yes absolutely it was there were numerous attendances unfortunately for this poor gentleman during the period so Obviously, in clinical negligence cases, we've just
2: spoken about the failings in the care, but the the big second hurdle that we have to prove is called causation. So we have to prove that those failings made a difference to the to the kind of the injury or their outcome in this case. So you said before, Catherine, that it was about a year earlier that a diagnosis should have been made. What difference would that have made to this gentleman?
0: Alongside the two experts' reports that I've just spoken about, we also had to get a report from a separate expert, from an oncologist. So, an oncologist is a cancer specialist who is the appropriate person to consider how advanced cancer was at a designated time and then to predict the path that, uh, that, that would have occurred thereafter. So, our oncology expert looked at everything um, and made a conclusion that although this gentleman's life wouldn't have been um, saved in its entirety, he wouldn't have been cured from his cancer it would have been prolonged and he would have had a significantly less severe deterioration in his condition and his pain and suffering would have been reduced
2: so it's all about the management in those circumstances and actually giving him extra time with his loved ones
0: exactly exactly that's that that's so important you know if if they'd have known that his condition if they'd have had the earlier diagnosis obviously they could have done things differently they could have enjoyed the time that they had um, and and that time would have been Prolonged and time in those circumstances is so valuable, isn't it? Absolutely. Thanks, Catherine. That was really
2: interesting to hear about that. Um, I've got a case study now that I'd like to kind of discuss with you, if that's okay. So my case study relates again; it's fictional, but it relates to cervical cancer. Let's take a thirty-year-old female. She had no symptoms, and she went for a routine smear test at her GP. When you have a smear test, as you, you may well know, Catherine, you, you get your, your results in the post, in, in a letter. And that smear test was reported as normal. And this lady forgot about it and um, went on with normal day-to-day life um, and planned to await her next recall for her, her next smear. She had her next smear three years later. And again, that was reported as normal. Shortly after that smear, though, she started suffering with some symptoms of lower abdominal pain and some urinary symptoms. She went to a GP and initially her GP diagnosed a few urinary tract infections and was prescribed antibiotics. And also she then went on to develop some bleeding after intercourse. So there was a review of her contraceptive. But this bleeding continued, so she was referred to the gynaecological team and um, she had a pelvic ultrasound scan which showed that there was a mass in the pelvis and it was about the size of a fetus that would be approximately 15 weeks old at that point, so it was quite sizable. She had further investigations and biopsies were taken from that mass And she also had um, an MRI scan of the body and a CT scan of the body to see if there was anything else going on in the body. She was subsequently diagnosed with stage 4B cervical cancer. The cancer was widespread, so that that MRI and CT scan had shown that it spread to the liver, the spine and the lymph nodes. Unfortunately, because of how widespread the cancer was, she wasn't... um, a candidate for surgery and she could only have palliative treatment.
0: That sounds awful Beth and that's um, you know something that's just very difficult to hear and and, and, and experience but um, sadly we, we've come across these types of cases on, on a, a few occasions previously, haven't we? But what's the importance then of attending a smear test? Because people listening might think, well she, she had a smear test and You know, it wasn't interpreted correctly uh, and she went on to develop cancer in any event. But what is the importance of a smear test? What happened in this case was that
2: her first two smears that I referred to, they were incorrectly reported. So they were reported as normal and in fact they showed abnormalities. If they'd acted on those abnormalities at the time, her prognosis would have been much different. So if we, we take that first smear test, if they'd acted upon the abnormalities at that point they would have basically done a procedure called ablation, which is where they burn off the abnormal cells and she would never have developed cancer. Now she obviously had a a second smear three years later. By that point, things would have progressed anyway. And she would have had cancer by that second smear, but it would have been confined to the cervix only. And so it wouldn't have spread to the rest of the body like it had done because of how many delays there were in this case. So the key thing was the smear tests here and the reporting of them. So although in this case the misreporting was horrific and it did actually go on to result in the death of this lady who was a mother, a young mother, smear tests are still vitally important for women so they are key in the early detection of cervical cancer you may be thinking Catherine well what's the point in having a smear when situations like this arise when they're misreported anyway well this is just one case majority of the time they're going to be reported accurately so I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for women to go and have smear tests when they are called for smear tests
0: giving a a real life example of it I have um, two friends who actually did have abnormal um, smear results and they simply had to attend hospital it was a day case they were in and out and they just had to have a a minimally invasive procedure and that avoided any um, you know long-term consequences like what we've seen in this sad case yeah so the key is catching those abnormal cells early before
2: they develop into something more sinister
0: so in this case, Beth, what was the consequence? I mean, obviously you said that she was a, a young mother. As I said, she wasn't a candidate for
2: surgery. She had some chemotherapy, um, but unfortunately that didn't stop the cancer progression because it was so um, severe by that point. They tried some radiotherapy, but that didn't work. The lady also um, signed up to a trial with Christie's, which is the the cancer centre in Manchester. So this, these are kind of speculative trials to try new treatments or drugs I guess Um, at that point you'll you kind of try try anything anything, won't you Um, when she was diagnosed with the stage 4b cancer she was given 15 months to live so she went on to this Christie's trial and um, it did extend her life expectancy slightly she survived 21 months after diagnosis but she left behind a young family um, and a husband and what this case shows that those children shouldn't be growing up without a mum because if that smear had been correctly reported in the first instance, she wouldn't have ever even developed cancer.
0: So how do lanyon Bidler help people
2: in this situation? People will come to us if they think that they've suffered a clinical negligence claim and we will go through a screening process to see if we can take on the case. So in this case, we, we took it on and we investigated it obviously there was negligence and then you look at value in the case and in cases where there's been a death the case you proceed with is a case for any dependents of the deceased Um, and you can also bring a, a smaller claim on behalf of the estate as well so in cases where a parent has died you're looking at providing for the future of those children so ensuring that the care and services that the mum here would have provided and perhaps what she would have contributed financially to the family, it's looking at compensating the children for those aspects. Yeah, great. Thank you very much, Beth. That was interesting. So that brings us to the end of the two case studies and both very different, both equally very interesting. Because of what's happened in the last 18 months, I do think the next two to three years will be really interesting to see if there is an increase in delay in diagnosis of cancer cases. Um, I hope that isn't the case, but um, only time will tell. The two case studies that we've just spoken about are fictional. They are very similar to the types of cases we work on on a a daily basis. And we have quite a lot of experience at Lanyon-Bowdler working on cases such as these. Would you agree?
0: Absolutely. I mean, obviously we have experience of dealing with delay in diagnosis of all kinds of cancer cases and as you rightly say these are two fictional examples but um, we, we, we have dealt with numerous cases that would follow these same lines as well as cases not relating to delay in diagnosis of cancer but also in any other aspect of healthcare that there may have been a negligence element.
1: Thanks to Beth and Catherine for lending their expertise, yet more proof that lawyers don't bite. If you need legal help from either of them, please get in touch through lblaw.co.uk. That's lblaw.co.uk. And if you have a particular legal issue you'd like me to put to our specialists for an upcoming episode, please let us know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show and find any of the conversations interesting or helpful, please remember to use your podcast app to follow The Legal Lounge so that you never miss an episode.
0: That was The Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.